0: To Mad Dogs and Englishmen first podcast after a long holiday break. You know, Charlie, I was thinking of um, Dave Chappelle bit from a while back where he's talking about getting COVID, and he said it just made him feel so dirty. <laughs> he exposed himself to this, you know, low-life disease. So um, I understand the Cook family has a case.
1: That's true. We are, we are Omicron victims. It's not too bad. We have
0: How are you pronouncing that Greek letter again?
1: Well, I guess I guess it is a Greek letter, isn't it? I said Omicron. micron. But it's I don't
0: think that's how it's it's pronounced.
1: But... No, it's not. It's not. But that's how everyone's been pronouncing it, so I've just sort of gone with it. It's actually the gone... one I've heard too much is, is omnicron. Omnicron, yeah. Like it's everywhere. Yeah. Which it Which is. Which is pretty good.
0: That's what I hear, yeah. A uh, matter of time, I suppose. I thought I had it a couple of days ago, but it's just a hangover, as it turns out. No, it wasn't. It was just a little cold. But um, I'd love to
1: have a hangover. I haven't been able to have a drink for a while. <laughs> That's too bad. So where did you pick up the uh, plague? Do you think? Well, I think in England, although right at the end, clearly, because our tests to come back were negative. So you're importing plague from abroad. That's you're right. not one
0: of those... Dirty foreigners coming over the border with your diseases.
1: I actually haven't had a test. My wife had a positive test, and then I had the same symptoms, so I just assumed that... I see. I
0: had Is it hard test. to get tested where you are?
1: Um, not especially, but I've been busy, and as I say, I had the same symptoms, so it didn't seem mm-hmm. too Necessary. much of a stretch to conclude that I had the same thing. Also, once we got back... The rest of my family in England said they had it. So, I mean, it seems pretty clear. Pretty likely. Not
0: too bad, though, then. You're still podcasting up and about. No COVID fog, no uh, disability.
1: No crashing IQ. Well, I had a crashing IQ anyway. So this is just a way of blaming it on something else.
0: Yeah, you'll be down
1: in the 130s eventually. If you <laughs> I'll be down in the 30s. But no, I have had essentially a bad cold. I mean, I, I had both shots, and then I got myself boosted just before we went to England. So as you could probably hear in my voice, I just sound very slightly coldy. I haven't had any strange symptoms, such as losing my sense of taste or smell. Although for me, it is strange not to particularly want a glass of wine. I I want a glass of wine, but in what Dan Foster used to work at NR I used to call Second Order Desire, in the same way as a Drug addict doesn't want to be a drug addict, but he wants drugs. I'm the other way around. I want to want a (laughs) glass of wine, but I don't actually want one, if that makes any sense.
0: Sure. Or maybe you're pregnant. You know, sometimes when you're pregnant, you uh, naturally get uh, improvements in tastes that go along with having a healthy pregnancy.
1: (laughs) I could be pregnant. I certainly haven't been taking birth control pills. Oh, that's true. You know,
0: we live in a new era. Charlie, where these things happen, apparently.
1: (laughs) Apparently. I read it in the newspaper.
0: So, uh, CNN and COVID, you have some thoughts on this.
1: Well, I I think it's important that we do not let the people who have treated COVID as a choice or a, a moral failing get away with their newfound turn. And Chris Schlissel CNN, who, to put it charitably, has all of a sudden discovered certain facts about COVID that were obvious to the rest of us for about two years, said a couple of days ago that he suspected that unknowingly, we as a culture, that we's doing a lot of work, had implied mm. that there was something wrong with the people who got COVID, that there was a moral failing, that it was yeah, signifying. Sure. And, you know, I would say that is certainly what many people have done in the press and elsewhere, but it's not we as a culture that have have done this. And it wasn't unknowing. It certainly wasn't unknowing. I mean, you, you know, listeners to this podcast will remember... That right from the beginning, I have said the same thing. Not Trump's fault, not Biden's fault, not Republicans' fault, not Democrats' fault. Go get vaccinated. That's the one thing that works. Everything else is theater. The virus doesn't care whether you're good, bad, conservative, progressive, atheist, Jewish, Muslim, Christian. It doesn't care. And that ultimately, most people are going to get it. And again, with the exception of the vaccine, public policy can do very little about this. But that's not Mm. how it's been covered. And there's nothing unknowing about this. Nothing unknowing about this. The the coverage has been politicized and has had as its underlying presumption that this is the judgment of God. And that's why Mm. people in the state in which I live have been called Covidiots and Floridiots. And all it took to overcome this relentless onslaught, the sort of onslaught that included people such as Paul Krugman of the New York Times, overlaying maps showing the summer surge in the South with the slaveholding states of the Confederacy. All it took, it seems, is for journalists to get sick, the places in which they live to become overrun, and for them to realize, actually, maybe it's not. That the people who get this are reprobates.
0: Yeah, it's funny how uh, things turn on this sort of thing really quickly. You're a little young yeah. to remember this, but I have very good memories of the late 1880s, late 1880s, <laughs> sorry. Late <laughs> who 1980s. are you, Andrew Stutterford? <sighs> yes. Uh, you know, the Constitution is more than 100 years old. Yeah. But. Um, late 1980s and early 1990s, when there was a lot of talk about um, personal behavior risk and HIV. And some people had really, really ugly attitudes about this. This is, you know, God's judgment on gay people and that sort of thing. But there are other people who had much more sensible arguments, which consisted of roughly if you make decisions that puts you in a very high risk category, um, it's much more likely that you will get this disease. And if you don't make these decisions, and maybe this should enter into the discourse of how we talk about this and what advice we give people. And those people were, of course, treated as the second coming of Torquemada. You know, how dare you blame the victims for this horrible disease that's going to kill them? Which, of course, was not the point of that. The point of it was to get people who were not victims of that disease to think about changing their behavior to make them less likely to get it. Yes. Uh, which is a perfectly sensible thing to say. Um, likewise, you know, in the early days of the COVID epidemic, it was very sensible to recommend to people, don't go to big, big public gatherings. Uh, don't travel unless you have to. Work from home if you can. Uh, these things get the vaccine when there was a vaccine available. Um, but then there are also people who are saying, well, you know, Florida is going to have problems because Ron DeSantis is the devil, essentially. And this is God's judgment on bad government. And I know this is a gong that I bang once a day, but, you know, these very, very old ideas that if the king doesn't do the right things, the gods will send plagues and the people will suffer for it, has never left our politics. Um, not since, you know, priest history, not since the Middle Ages, not in the modern era. We still cling to these ideas that if there's disease on the land, uh, it's somehow the fault of the ruler who has in some way been impious. And uh, Ron DeSantis certainly heard a lot of that. Donald Trump got an earful of it. Uh, Joe Biden's getting some of it now. And of course, it's been more or less nonsense in every case. Which doesn't mean there aren't better and worse public policy responses to this stuff, as you and I have talked about over the months and now years there there are. Um, but that is not the same thing as confirming the uh, superstitious view of the relationship between political leadership and the spread of viruses.
1: So I, of course, agree entirely that there are things that you can do to help yourself and should do, which is why I have gone and got myself vaccinated and mm. boosted. Did you feel bad after your booster? Yeah, I did. What did <laughs> really you get? Bad. Which one? I got Pfizer. I'm I'm a thrice Pfizered American.
0: Yeah, me too, because we're part, obviously, of the uh, the terrible global elite, so we get right. the good one. But um, I, I felt bad for a couple hours. Um, that evening, but I'm, I've so far bounced back from these pretty
1: quickly. Yeah, so there are of course because I'm obviously such a tough guy, truly naturally.
0: Um, As theater critics go, you know.
1: <laughs> so there are things you can do, yeah. but I think what has been so repugnant about this is that the the critics who have behaved in the way that i am annoyed by have decided that there is one way of doing things and then blamed anyone who dissented for their own misfortune
0: mm-hmm.
1: and of course it's not at all obvious what we should have done i mean there were entirely reasonable debates over lockdowns over shutting down schools over mask mandates and so forth and um, you know, I, I understand why some people say, well, the reason I've changed my mind is because of a micron, which I'm pronouncing incorrectly. I understand Cause cause that. you
0: know the word micron? Yeah. You just want to put an O in front of it? Yeah, exactly. You no, know, that makes
1: sense. I, I understand that. But the thing is, is that the difference between Delta and the other strains and this strain is in its consequence, not in whether we can control it. So yes, it is true that many fewer people are going to die from contracting Omicron. Mm -hmm. But it is not true that the central dispute is different here than it was before, because my contention was that we couldn't control Delta either. So, yeah, we'll end up with fewer deaths. That's really good. But that's what's different. Not not that, you know, finally we had to throw our hands up and say, oh, I give up. And and I, I don't think it's good enough to say, well, I, you know, of course I spent two years lambasting everyone, forgetting it. Uh, but now <laughs> I've seen the light. Well, actually, lots of people saw the light. <laughs> from the beginning, yes. From the beginning. And understood it. Oh, there is
0: a kind of great, poetry here that either, you know, God or nature or whoever, because you're an atheist, you know, so I don't want to make you uncomfortable, um, has a sense of humor, I think, because the way vaccines work traditionally, uh, these mRNA vaccines are a little different, is to introduce a weakened or attenuated version of the virus in order to revoke a response that converts some immunity. And so we've got all these people who are Hostile to vaccination, skeptical of vaccination for one reason or another, and what we got in, in Omicron was essentially an attenuated version of the virus. It's very hard to avoid, so uh, people are in a sense getting naturally uh, vaccinated uh, against their will,
1: and that's how pandemics
0: become endemic.
1: Right. Well, so in that
0: sense, I suppose this is a um, as terrible as it is for so many people, and, and for the people who've died and become seriously sick, and. All the usual caveats um, made the best of uh, possible likely developments to get a version that is more transmissible, but less lethal um, in order to uh, build up natural immunity in the population in a way that hurts fewer people than would have been hurt by, say, Delta or um, another variant. Yeah, it could have gone differently. It could have been a, you know, more transmissible and more deadly variant.
1: Right and I think it's just worth reiterating that the vaccine works that yes there has been some lies told about it and some mm, some very many so many um and there's been some false predictions made about it but that it is still the case that if you are vaccinated you have about 10 times the chance of staying out of the hospital and 10 times the chance of living yeah And that is a good (laughs) set of odds. Speaking of which, a little thing I
0: wrote for the magazine you know, just in the same way that you're never woke enough for the kind of professionally woke, you are never Trumpy enough for the professionally Trumpy. And this is true even if you're Donald Trump, who in that interview with Candace Owens, you know, she started going on with her usual uh, vaccine nonsense and he stopped her. He's like, no, the vaccines are. One of the greatest achievements of mankind, and their work, and they're effective, and people should get them. <laughs> she's like, "Damn it! Why did you say that? that? Put me in a hard spot because you can't endorse the vaccines if you're in that world, but you also can't disagree with Donald Trump if you're in that world." So she was rhetorically in a very difficult position, and then made the humorous explanation that, um, "Well, he's old and doesn't know how television works," which it's surely completely surprised to, no. to a man who was. A reasonably successful television game show host. If nothing else, he was ever good at in his life. Yeah, you
1: know? I mean, uh, I, funny I, moment. I, I, I just, I, I think this is one of the strangest developments in our politics, and and Lord knows I'm. We're
0: just saying something.
1: <laughs> yeah. uh, Lord knows I'm not a defender of Donald Trump, especially after January 6th. But <sighs> there is this cottage industry of anti-vaccine sentiment. Yeah, that is being conducted in the name of a man who repudiates it. Yes. I mean, they, they had...
0: Yeah um, who played some important part in getting the vaccines out on a timely basis.
1: Right. I, I'm sure you saw that clip with Trump and uh, Bill O'Reilly. No, I'm sure I didn't because oh, you I didn't? would walk...
0: I would walk across the street to avoid such a thing. But
1: well no, I, I, this I, I you should see it because it, this oh, is dear. this is what it's only a minute or so. I saw it on, on Twitter, but this and is of course never get back. <laughs> Yeah, but no, it's good though because because O'Reilly says to him, "Are you vaccinated and boosted?" and Trump says, "Yeah." And then the audience boos, or some yeah, portion of it. Yeah, I heard about that, yeah. And then Trump says, don't boo. This is a great... You're playing into their hands, he says. And that's a political statement. That's irrelevant to this. The point is, he then says, the vaccines work. They're a miracle. Uh, they've saved millions of lives around the world. They've prevented this from becoming another Spanish flu in terms of its death toll. And, And then he says, oh, it's just a small handful of you anyway who are booing. And it's just so jarring, because for a start, it is the single most lucid clip of Donald Trump I've ever seen, (laughs) going back 30 years. He's so normal in this segment. And he's right. And then you turn on the TV, and there are people who are saying that the vaccine's terrible, and it's a plot, and it doesn't work. And they're doing so to curry favor with a guy who is boosted, and likes it, and wants to take credit for it. Where did that, you know, how did that exactly. happen? These are the
0: same people who stomped a police officer while waving a thin blue line flag. I guess that's true. But still, it is... Yeah. World of idiots. It's strange. It is strange. Um, So you went to the UK for Christmas? I
1: did. How was it? It was really great. It was... First time, my uh, kids have, have been in England for Christmas and been old enough to really remember it and enjoy it. Hmm. It's the first time in two and a half years, my parents have seen their grandkids. First time in two and a half years, my kids have seen their cousins.
0: Yeah. Were you in
1: Cambridge? That's right. Cambridge.
0: How do you get there? You fly into Heathrow and you uh, drive, take a train? Yeah,
1: it's a couple of hours in a car.
0: Okay.
1: And did you go out and do a
0: lot of English things, or did you just kind of stay at home and and do family stuff?
1: We mostly stayed at home, but we took some trips to the pub, went out for Pretty lunch, English thing, went to the zoo. Which was, what do they
0: have in the zoo in Cambridge? Oxford? Uh, it's not a Cambridge.
1: <laughs> it's not a Cambridge zoo. It's, um, it's the zoo at Colchester, which is I oh, the might- famous zoo at Colchester. Yeah, which is an old old Roman town, of course, being called yeah. Chester. Uh, it's quite good. The problem with it is that – well, there's two problems with it. The first one is relative. Well, they're both relative, actually. In the, I live in Florida, and uh, Florida is home to Animal Kingdom at Disney World, which is extraordinary, and Bush Gardens in Tampa.
0: And also Animal Kingdom in your backyard.
1: That's right and so although the zoo was good it w- it was you know zoo uh and also it was freezing and raining uh which i'm not used to anymore and don't particularly like but so the england kids,
0: was, was 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 cold and rainy in the winter you're saying
1: that's right but the kids had a great time and they got their faces painted and they fed an elephant and they ran around in the soft play environment so that was that was that was worth it where did the cooks get their kids for christmas Got them robes which we would call dressing gowns for after having a, a shower. We've got the oldest little, one
0: little kid dressing gowns, I like it. Yeah, so they the little ascots to go with
1: them? Well no, but they're themed. So the old the older one, the five year old got a Harry Potter Gryffindor. door.
0: W- I was going to ask which house it was without even asking whether it was Harry Potter because that's just too obvious.
1: Yeah, and then the younger one got a Spider-Man one. Spider-Man dressing gown. Yeah.
0: Spider-Man was famous for his dressing <laughs> gown out there. In
1: <laughs> Whatever Queens there. It makes the, him look like Spider-Man because has a hood and webs. And, you know. I see.
0: Um,
1: so that's, uh, that was that. And uh, we also got them a game on the Nintendo Switch. huh.
0: The Switch is the little handheld thing?
1: Yeah, but you can plug it into the TV too. Uh, we, I see. It's called Mario Party Superstars. It's basically a board game, mm. but it's on the screen. It's really quite fun. We've all been playing it together.
0: I see.
1: So, did it bring you anything good? Um, I got a sweater and some shoes. And I... My parents said they would pay for us to go out for dinner at the best restaurant in the area, so that's nice. Got some. What kind of shoes do we get Florida Man? Are they flip-flops here? They're actually these sort of vintage slippers. Have you seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Yeah, yeah. So apparently the company that did all of the shoes for that movie, which has great expertise in those 1960s and 70s styles, make Mm. these moccasin...
0: Oh, the, the the famous Brad Pitt moccasins.
1: Yeah, yeah, um, those
0: those uh, those made a big comeback.
1: Yeah, so I had never really observed them, but my wife got me some. They're pretty cool, made by Mini Tonka. That's right, that's right. <laughs> yeah. smart guy. Yeah, and she Things got the I kids knew. them too. So, hmm.
0: well, I actually drove to Florida from Texas. Uh, we drove from uh, Dallas to Miami and back which was pretty good drive. Stopped at a public. She'll be glad to know. What did you get? And, uh, I don't know. Uh, I didn't get anything. Uh, my wife went in. Did
1: you get a? You didn't get a public sub?
0: No. No. I, I I've, I've, can't remember what she bought, actually. Like fruit or something. Okay. But um, long drive, but uh, a lovely drive. We all stopped in Orlando on the way, which is uh, – We didn't quite get out in Charlie Cook country, but that's as close as we got, I suppose.
1: You didn't go ride any roller coasters.
0: There were no roller coasters ridden, no. That's a shame. Um, Although I did go to a car wash in South Beach where I was
1: behind two Rolls Royces and a Lamborghini. Oh. So that was... uh... Wait, a hand car wash?
0: Yes, of course. I was going to say, you don't
1: put a Lamborghini through (laughs) it.
0: No, not one of those. This was... uh... People with uh, little, uh, I assume, suede gloves. And that wasn't my car. And, uh, I don't know, brushes made of the hair of Swedish virgins. Uh, and they, they wash cars out there. It's uh, the, uh, near the um, ferry for Fisher Island. So a lot of poor people around, as you can imagine.
1: I actually don't know Miami very well. I have been there a few times. And Miami's a fun town. family all right. who live there. And I've always enjoyed myself. But whenever people appeal to the geography of miami i have no idea the one thing i have burned into my memory from miami having driven down there with the kids for a family event is just how terrible the drivers were and i know that that is a (laughs) common complaint a stereotype and almost a cliche at this point but it is true
0: there are bad drivers down there
1: And uh, we didn't go to the airport this time, obviously, because we were driving. It's
0: also a pretty bad airport, with apologies to Rick Scott, who got mad at me last time I brought this up with him. But um, my theory about the airport is the same as my theory about the drivers, which this is a a Miami stereotyping cliche, but you've got a lot of very old people who are not great with signage and kind of slow moving in general, which makes them a menace both in the airport and on freeways. Uh, A lot of foreign visitors around the the holidays uh, whose first language is not English. And they have similar uh, trouble, I think, with signage and uh, local customs and habits when it comes to uh, driving. Uh, A lot of people, you know, taking left exits out of the uh, far right lane at uh, 75 miles above the speed limit of 75 and uh, doing so without signaling and that kind of thing. So, which makes them, of course, indistinguishable from the average American driver. But still, it's a little, uh, a little chaotic. But um, no, I only kind of really like three big cities in America. You know, um, I like New York, I like Los Angeles, and I like Miami. Um, none of the other big cities in America are kind of um, anywhere near the top of my list of places to live. Um, Miami's kind of um, Miami's a bit like. New Orleans and a bit like Las Vegas in that it's got a real sense of uniqueness and a sense of place. It's not as extreme as those places are, of course, which is what makes it a lot more livable. I think the New Orleans are less so than, than Las Vegas, which is a, a pretty nice place to live. Um, but yeah, it's got a real sense of itself, a real sense of place and uh, in a way that's different from say Chicago or Atlanta or Oklahoma City or someplace like that or Boston. Yeah, Boston. Um, you know, these other kind of blander American cities. So I am um, I do like it there.
1: You know, we often de- descend into talking about airports, but We
0: do often
1: descend. I, I into talking about airports.
0: I Will this be our final descent into talking about airports. Yeah, you need probably to pass not you'll
1: see about uh, i went via. i always
0: hate the phrase final descent by the way <laughs> god i i hope not i don't want to i don't want to die at hartfield chest there's,
1: there's a great john cleese bit about this he used to make these little videos and uh he talked about the weird way in which uh hostesses talk about landing we'll be on and, the ground in five minutes <laughs> yeah and he says either way right and he says uh, he says that they they have this strangely defensive way of talking about it. So they'll say they'll say, "Ladies and gentlemen, please do return your trays to their upright position. The plane will be landing in five minutes." As if all the passengers had said, "No, it won't." <laughs> <laughs> and now now I've I can't help but hear this every single time. <laughs> nice, yeah.
0: I got a lovely Christmas present. Someone gave me an 1842 edition of the Webster's Dictionary. Oh, wow. Which I guess was the last year Webster was himself involved in making the dictionary. I believe he died in 43. So uh, going on 200-year-old dictionary set here, it's two great big heavy volumes. Again, making me glad I didn't fly. It would have been a pain in the ass
1: to look through an airport. Well, they can't edit that one.
0: I've got the goods, I've got the receipts, as the kids say. Uh so yes, when linguistic uh controversies come up, I'll have some some fresh ammunition. But which to say some ammunition that's not very fresh at all.
1: But no, I was uh I was gonna say that Atlanta Airport was an <clears throat> absolute disaster. And I had always had relatively good experiences in Atlanta because I'd just been flying Delta. So you just fly in and then the whole terminal's essentially Delta. Oh, you flew out of Atlanta to the UK. Yeah. So we flew up Delta and then we had to transfer to the international terminal, which you have to take a bus to do, and it goes even though it's next door to the domestic terminal, mm, and it walk. goes all the way around the airport the wrong way. It doesn't just Yep. I've done it. I know how it goes. So that was a disaster. And then check-in, it took an hour and 10 minutes for us to drop our bags off with three people in front of us in the line. Mm. And on the way back... So
0: 70 minutes, that means you heard the uh, mayor say welcome to Atlanta (laughs) uh, 140 times?
1: Mayor Bottoms. Bottoms, yes. And then on the way... It also
0: sounds like a Harry Potter name, by the way, Mayor (laughs) Bottoms.
1: (laughs) It does. On the way back, we had to recheck our bags because we came out of British Airways, picked them up, and then had to check them with Delta. And that took us about two hours. And there were two people on in the entire terminal in the backdrop on the 30th of December. It was just, it was absolutely (laughs) extraordinary.
0: I'm so glad I didn't play.
1: But anyway, it was interesting because Atlanta Airport reminded me a little bit of Miami. Yeah, why? Confused. Yeah, overrun. Uh, the, just the way it's set. Not not the the domestic sort of sprawling terminals. Okay, because it has lots of restaurants and so on. But uh, so d- does Rick Scott think Miami's good? Because there are good Florida airports. The Jacksonville Airport may be the best airport in the country, and mm. Tampa. The new Tampa Airport's good.
0: Rick Scott thinks it's much improved, and in fairness, he's not wrong about that.
1: It used to be a lot worse. Okay,
0: uh, believe it or not, the Miami Airport used to be a lot worse than it is now. Um, it was like, um, oh, it was like the Bombay Airport in the '90s. It was just, it was bad. Okay. Um. Yeah, it's much improved, although still kind of slow and chaotic, and seemingly, uh, if not understaffed, indifferently staffed interesting
1: yeah all right well i've only been there once and i wasn't thrilled but it wasn't bad
0: it's not that long a drive from jacksonville
1: to, miami. Six hours. Be tempted just to do that yeah like i said not that long a drive well no but i was yeah. flying back from england and i had to go via miami because you can't fly from jacksonville to london right but you can drive from jacksonville to atlanta that's also five six hours
0: that's what I meant, yeah. I, I might just drive to the airport if I were you.
1: But um Maybe. <laughs> I, just I like to fly out of Orlando, but the thing is because COVID has closed uh, or diminished a lot of the attractions in Orlando, and because the travel ban was only just lifted, the number of flights from London to Orlando has been slashed. And mm. they're also booked up. In advance, so we haven't been able to get a flight out of Orlando since this whole thing started. We used to do that, and that's perfect because that's about an hour and a half to the airport from here, and then you just fly over. but we haven't been able to do that, so we've been rotating we've been trying all of the intermediary airports, so we've tried Miami and uh Atlanta and dollars, and then of course j f k with which we were pretty familiar.
0: Well, next time, just fly to Dallas and stay with us for a couple of days. Yeah, you could do that, out. too, because Dallas PLD has Eastern.
1: direct British Airways flights.
0: Yeah. Yep. Might be a little easier. Well, we've got a guest room, you know. So, Thank you. Um, <laughs> you're always welcome. January 6th is today, an anniversary of a day of infamy. or, oh, some people believe it's a day to be celebrated. Anything you want to share about uh, the anniversary or the original event or any thoughts?
1: Well, I'm something of a broken record on this in that I agree with the piece you wrote today. The riot was terrible, but it was incidental in in many ways in that the big problem here was not that 700 Americans went into that building and stopped the work of Congress, although that would have been ugly had that happened in isolation. The problem is that the president wanted them to. And whether or not he incited them in any legal sense, or when they had done it was pleased about it, they were echoing sentiments that he himself had promulgated over and over and over and over again. And, and it actually entertained all sorts of wacky and um, devastating constitutionally legal theories. So, you know, I, I'm I'm really not, Remotely convinced by the people who say, well, it's just a building, or, well, they had no chance of succeeding, or why are we so worried suddenly about 650 ragtag rioters?
0: Yeah, I hate the whole, well, they didn't have any chance of succeeding, so therefore it's not um, important. You know, they were goofy and incompetent, so it doesn't count. Well, if goofy and incompetent and imbecile, means it doesn't count. There was no Trump administration. But um, there was a Trump administration, and, and it mattered. Well, we also charge par- people
1: for attempted murder in this country, so we do right. care. Well, I think
0: and that's the parallel cases. You know, I think of Squeaky Fromm and her attempt to assassinate Gerald Ford. It was never going to work. And the reason it was never going to work is because she didn't have a bullet in the chamber of the gun. She didn't know how automatic firearms worked. She had a, actually, I bet, quite valuable these days, a 1911 run, 1911. Uh, A 60-year-old gun at that time. And uh, she put bullets in the uh, magazine, put the magazine in the magazine well, but didn't run the slide and put a round in the chamber. So she was very surprised when she pulled the trigger and the hammer came down and nothing happened. So, yeah, she had no chance of success uh, because the gun wasn't going to work and she didn't know how to make it work. Does that make her any less homicidal in her intent? I don't think so. Um, Charles Manson never actually killed anybody himself. Doesn't make him any less homicidal. Um, but the other thing about that, I think, is that it's a way to change the subject or a way not to deal with, um, what you rightly point to as the main event, which was that the rioters at the Capitol were not going to negate the election and illegally install Donald Trump as president. Trump was doing that. Um, Trump and his lawyers and their bad illegal theories were trying to do that. You know, the uh, the events at the Capitol were part of the coup attempt, but they were a less important part of the coup attempt. They were mainly an effort to steer physical fear and threat of murder into the conversation in an attempt to uh, intimidate elected officials and uh, other officials into going along with what was being demanded of them. And it failed, but that's no reason to assume that it wasn't in earnest, or that it will fail when it's tried again, which it will be.
1: I don't know if it will be. I I hope it's not, but it certainly was. And as you say, the the idea that we would wave away attempts because they failed is is just bizarre. I mean, a good example of this is the attempted assassination of a whole bunch of sitting federal legislators in 2017 at the congressional yeah. baseball field. Now, as it happened, the only person who died that day was the perpetrator, thankfully. But does that change the fact that he took a gun to try to wipe out? You know, he could have wiped out 5 6% of the entire House of Representatives. Yep. So I'm with you on that. Uh, of course, then I move to my second... Uh, position on this which which irritates the people who like the first one and that is that I don't think one needs to in any way seek to underplay January 6th in order to find some of the ways in which it is now being used repugnant and I think that's true of 9-11 as well sure I think you're with me on this that a lot of the spying that we've seen since 9-11, maybe the Patriot Act itself, about ideas. And it's not a judgment on the severity of 9-11. I find it really irritating sometimes when people say to me, well, I was there and I remember the smell. It came through the window. Okay, I'm not, I I agree. Uh, I just don't think that our reaction to it was perfect. And, you know, I, I do have some time not for the people who were downplaying the event per se but sometime for classical liberals and you know what what would have been the old ACLU approach which says mm-hmm. well let's not build a domestic security state here and, and 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 equally I'm bothered by Chuck Schumer's attempt to use this to abolish the filibuster and the argument that you read in the Washington Post and the New York Times that the Biden agenda must be passed in its entirety, or the rioters of January 6th of one. Right. You know, this is all ugly, and it's crass, and, and it's also counterproductive because it puts people's backs up, uh, people whose acquiescence and understanding you should want.
0: Yeah, you know, I remember uh, some of the debate around, um, you know, the no-fly list and such after 9-11. And people saying, you know, if we do this, eventually it's going to be turned against people who we don't really think are potential Islamic radicals and terrorists. It's going to be turned against people with unpopular political opinions. Or we've seen um, subsequently Democrats try to say that um, we should be using similar things to, um, you know, disarm people, uh, to have their right to keep and bear arms for vote who haven't been charged with any kind of crime, much less convicted of one. Um, just based on executive say so. And I think that these things are um, things that were probably foreseeable and um, people acted out of fear. People actually uh, often acted out of good intentions, but good intentions don't guarantee you anything. Um so some of the reaction to January 6th, obviously, is is legit and well intentioned. Some of it's cynical and opportunistic. But um, the opportunism doesn't change the fact of the thing itself. I got a little irritated with Kyle the other day on the corner, you know, saying uh, this attemptedly funny piece of saying, "Well, after we, you know, celebrate the or mark the anniversary of January 6th and the 13 month anniversary and the 18th month anniversary and then the 30 year and all that stuff." And I understand that, you know, there's always the, you know, yes, there's media overreaction. Yes, there's democratic self-serving overreaction and all that. But a lot of the focus on that stuff is the way, I think, to change the subject. And I don't think it's quite time to change the subject.
1: Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with marking it. Um, my, my sadness, and I, I don't mean that rhetorically, I mean that quite genuinely, my sadness here. Is that I just don't think that either side of our political divide is particularly interested in it for its own sake. And you know, Rich asked on the Editor's podcast, "What do you think of the Commission?" And I think the same thing about the Commission as I did for the last six months, which is, I don't believe that anyone in leadership on the Republican or the Democratic side want the Commission. For the sake of having a commission, I think that Republicans want the commission, I mean, they don't want it, but will use the commission to downplay it, to say what about riots in the summer of 2020, to say what about the FBI, to mock Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And I think the Democrats want it because they hope to cast the Republican Party as an anti-democratic force that can never again be trusted with power, and not in an ancillary way, not 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 uh, you know inadvertently, but as as the main focus. And as such, you know, the answer to the question, what do you think of the January 6th? I don't care. (laughs) I just don't care about it. I have strong views as to what happened. And I think we should all be appalled by what happened. I'm just not at all convinced that Congress has grown up enough to sit down and examine this for its own sake. And as a result... You know, all of the noise about who's going to be on this panel and who's subpoenaed and what are they going to talk about and who's writing the. I mean, it just doesn't, it just doesn't strike me as a, as a serious exercise. And um, I do think that's something of an indictment. And I'm sure there are people who will say, ah, you're both sides in it. I'm not. I'm not. Only one side did this. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> the side that did this was, was some of the Republican Party and all of the Trump administration. The Democrats are not at fault for what happened on January 6th at all. But they are part of a polity that is just not capable of reacting. And the second thing is, and this probably is actually more normal. I know we lament this, but this is probably more normal. The American public actually doesn't care anymore. Maybe it should, but it doesn't. <laughs> um, and it didn't care about Watergate six months after it either. Um uh, it's it's just not a feature of american life to 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 dwell um i mean i i think one of the most extraordinary facts of recent history is that the president of the united states in 1974 resigned on live television and then in the next election the democratic party did pretty well in 1976 <laughs> And then after that, it got crushed at the presidential level three times in a row, and then it lost control of Congress. And it has done worse in Congress since then than the Republicans. I I think it is remarkable that the country was up in arms about the financial crash of 2008, to the point at which it ushered in Barack Obama as president and a a Democratic super majority in Congress. And two years later, it lost the whole lot. Hmm. I mean, we just, again, whether we should or not, we just don't wait. And so even if you had a, a sober Congress that intended to look into this and evaluate what it meant and so forth, I don't think the attention span is there in the public. Uh, people are interested in in inflation. And and that's rational, by the way, because this stuff really does hurt people. Um, But at the expense of everything else, they're interested in that.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, speaking of short attention spans, we're into 55 minutes. So should we let it go there?
1: I think so. All
0: right. Talk to you next week. Okay.